Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our continuation of our NBA draft analysis series, and we're going to be talking about the Los Angeles Clippers. So the Clippers do not have any picks in this year's draft. Jalen, what are the chances that the Clippers trade into the second round? I mean, I think they're slim to none. I'm not even going to lie to you. I think the only reason that they would end up being able to get a second round pick or a pick in this draft in general is that they move on from a guy. And it's going to have to be a legitimate player to move on from. You're going to have to move on from a guy like PG or you're going to have to move on from a guy like Lou Williams or Patrick Beverly that are still on the roster because otherwise I don't think you're going to be able to warrant a pick in this draft that anybody's going to, I mean, granted, I think in the second round, there'd be a lot of teams that might be open to giving away a pick, but unless you got a lot of cash in those cash considerations, I don't see why anybody gives them up to give the Clippers a shot at the pot on a, on a potential late round steal. Looking at it though, I mean, now that I'm actually like really paying attention, it looks as though they at least have the 57th overall pick now, which is pretty interesting. Pulling up Tankathon now, and I see that they actually have the 50, 57th overall pick, which is pretty late in the draft. Let's just start there, I guess, now, because this kind of changes things a little bit because initially my thought was trading into the second round doesn't really make all that much sense. But in terms of them having a second round pick, they have one. I guess we just probably missed it because of just how late it really is. So they're at 57, Ryan. Um, let's just flip things back to you real quick and start there. They have the 57th overall pick, and they have a good handful of holes they're probably going to have to address. So where do you think they start? Who are some prospects that you think should be on the radar for a Clippers team like this one that's coming off a heartbreaking postseason? I would think the main holes are the power forward position and the center position. And I think you have to focus on getting guys who are projected to go either undrafted or late in the second round. I think the main guy for me would be Omer Yurtsevin out of Georgetown. I know Jalen has been raving about this guy for a while. So I kind of want to let Jalen take the reins on how good Omer Yurtsevin really is. Well, I mean, it's, it's really kind of, it's weird for me. This is one of my like weird prospects. I do this thing every single year where when I go through the guys and put together article ideas and things like that, I always like to pick out guys who play at major mar- uh, major, major, major market schools, but maybe don't get as much shine as they probably should. And Omer Yurt7 was a guy who tended to always come up at the bottom of my screen on the ESPN channel as a guy who in the game got somewhere between 15 and 20 points with double-digit rebounds, and he averaged 15 and 10 this year on a team that wasn't that good, but he was literally their only bright spot. He's a guy who's projected to go undrafted, and I understand why. He's a four-year player, but at the same time, I believe that he has the type of skill set that could translate to a I would say more of like a Steven Adams role, which I feel like if you can get a Steven Adams in this in this draft, that significantly boosts your team. And if you can get a Yurt 7 at 57 or potentially undrafted, that's crazy. Like to me, that's just personally how I feel about him as a prospect. 
I think uh, initially when I first started taking looks at his style of game, and now I realize that it doesn't match the style as as well as it looked when I was watching highlights. But I literally thought of like old Jack Sigma style play. And it was really interesting because the footwork is definitely there. I don't think the range of that of Sigma is there in Yurt 7, but he can definitely play within 15 feet. And he gets boards. I mean, my biggest thing with Yurt 7 is he fills a positional hole at backup power forward slash backup center for a Clippers team that that's the reason they got ran off the floor when it came to Denver. D- despite what anybody wants to admit, Denver's ability to pretty much do whatever they wanted in the paint through the Nikola Jokic. That's what won Denver that series. Despite all the leads that were blown, it was because of Nikola Jokic's ability to play in the paint over a guy who is a better defender than Zubac in Montrezl Harrell, but is six seven. Montrezl Harrell, it kind of can't hang with that when you have a guy like Nikola Jokic in the paint at seven foot with not only his passing ability, but his ability to rise over the top. And Avika Zubac is not nearly the type of defender that Montrez Harrell is. So I think Yurt Seven, yes, I think he gives you a little bit more of an offensive pop and you do wonder whether or not they really need that. But either way, they need bench center play regardless because they don't really have another established center on the roster. And playing through Montrez, if they do re-sign him, they have to understand that what happened against the Nuggets is something that can happen moving forward against a lot of the teams in the West that have dominant big men. Nurkic for the Trailblazers. Obviously, Nikola Jokic for the Nuggets. Anthony Davis. Carl Anthony Towns. The list kind of goes on in terms of the Western Conference. So, I mean, Yurtsev is not going to be anybody that's a crazy impactful player for this team, but he's going to get some burn at a position that they definitely need more minutes from off the bench. Yeah, and I kind of feel like Yurtsevin definitely needs to bring that boost that the Clippers really didn't have coming off the bench. Again, I mean, you mentioned that Montrezl Harrell was guarding uh, Nikola Jokic in certain situations in that series, and Harrell is 6'7", and Jokic is almost 7 feet tall. That's a clear mismatch, and I think if you – get a guy like Yurtsevin, at least you have somebody who's coming off the bench to match the height of a guy like Nikola Jokic. It's interesting that you pick a guy like Yurtsevin. I think that he's a very skillful offensive center who can either score from 18 feet in or on the mid-range, like I said, definitely attacking the offensive glass. I think besides the fact that he's mobile, I feel like there's not really a lot of potential red flags considering that he kind of fits in this league. Again, if you're a center who's seven feet tall, you're pretty much required to have some sort of a mid-range game or some sort of a perimeter game. And thankfully, he has both because that's what this league has transitioned to. And I feel like with those types of skill sets, he definitely could fit into the league. I mean, I guess. I think my biggest thing with him would just be defensively. I mean, that's personally my only thing. Um the defensive scheme that they need to run. I mean, the Clippers, whether they have Doc Rivers or not, I think are going to be a very prideful defensive team because they have guys who can play across the floor, even with them losing a lot in free agency. Potentially, they still have a lot of rotational pieces that can cover at every position. So I think my biggest thing with them is with, with Yurt 7 in particular is just maybe his uh, ability to affect the defensive end. But I'm not as worried about that. 
Um, I mean, moving on from him, I mean, the other two guys that automatically come to mind, we mentioned it off camera, but I'll just bring it to the tape now, is Caleb Weston out of Ohio State. I mean, that's a guy off the rip, kind of a similar mold in terms of what you would want. Um, my only concern with him really comes down to being 6'9", but he's 270, so he's a big body, great footwork down low. I don't think it's anything you know, to marvel at. He doesn't have Joel and Bede level footwork, but he's a guy who's positionally ready, active on the boards, 9.3 rebounds per game. He can stretch the floor, which I think is a huge part in his game that I think that the Clippers are missing. And Vika Zubac does not do that. But this guy shoots 43, 40, nearly 43% from three-point, and that's from NBA, and from NBA range. He shoots about 34%. So, I mean, he's a capable shooter, shoots over 70% from free throw line. So that definitely projects well. And he averaged 14 and nine with a block a game. So he's a guy who gives the Clippers a different dynamic at the power forward position that Montrezl Harrell and Avika Zubac don't give the this Clippers team. So I think if you don't go for a guy like Yurt Seven, a guy like Caleb Wesson, who is actually mocked to them, uh, according to Tankathon, now that I'm looking at it, that actually kind of seems like a very well fit for them. And I'm kind of interested now a little bit deeper into looking at how he fits for the Clippers now seeing that Tankathon has him mocked 57 to them. So I think the big thing with this all comes down to getting a rotational big man that can actually get some burn because the biggest issue I think that we saw with the Clippers is chemistry. And that was due to way too many guys getting way too many gimme minutes basically guys who are established in the league who feel as though they should get playing time thus did get playing time and I think it kind of messed around with the chemistry come playoff time when you have to cut your rotation down so I think Caleb Wesson might even be a better fit than your seven but you never know what they're going to do in undrafted free agency just because this is a team that has excellent scouting departments with a guy like Jerry West at the helms, which is somebody that we forget about in terms of his business acumen and ability to literally pull talent out of the draft from thin air. So whether it be at 57 or as an undrafted free agent, I think, I think Jerry West is going to do his thing. and I don't think he'll miss on a pick this late. Yeah. And I think the thing with, um, with Yurtsevin and Weston, I think with Yurtsevin mainly, He's not the most physical defender. That's really his biggest weakness. For Wesson, a guy who we mentioned on and off again on the podcast, a guy who averages 16 and 9 consistently, a great center out of Ohio State, I think he would fit as well. But I think just the slight height advantage for Yurtsevin, I think leans more in my direction of who I would want as the backup center for the Clippers. But Jerry West is a phenomenal scout. He really leads the Clippers in terms of player development, and he has an eye for talent. So, honestly, I think they could go a lot of different directions with this pick. So, moving now to all their free agents. There's five different free agents, as Jalen pointed out earlier. And mainly, they're at the power forward position with guys like uh, Montres Harrell and Marcus Morris possibly leaving the Clippers to enter the free agency market. So, Jalen who is the biggest asset that the Clippers need to re-sign? I mean, if we're going to be honest, it's, it's, it's clear as day. I think Trez is still the guy. Um, I think you're scared 
if you're the Clippers as to what kind of money that Montrez Harrell can command on the open market. He's a very effort guy. And effort guys get paid when they also back it up. And this guy literally is coming off of six man of the year. And that gets you paid. It's the equivalent to when you make an all NBA team in terms of being able to affect your contract. So going into free agency as the reigning six man of the year, the runner up for six man of the year, literally the year prior and being a guy who's already just this year alone uh, was making 11.4 mil. You know, he's going to come in more than that much. And they already have two guys signed to max contracts and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on the roster, I think. And we'll move on to this a little bit later on as well. But Paul George is a guy who, I don't know. There's questions as to whether or not he remains on this team already, despite literally only being on the roster for one year. And the team has already made it clear through um, some of the reports that have been made that essentially Kawhi Leonard is the only untouchable on this team. That leaves Lou Williams as a possible trade asset, Patrick Beverly as a possible trade asset, and that includes Paul George. But if we're talking about guys that you have to bring back, I mean, the list goes down from Marcus Morris, Maurice Harkless, Montrez Harrell, Reggie Jackson, Patrick Patterson, and Jonathan Motley. Jonathan Motley's a young guy, doesn't really get that much burn, and he was kind of almost a roster spot fill-in. Patrick Patterson and Maurice Harkless and even Reggie Jackson were all kind of just hired guns for this season that didn't really do their thing. You could say the same thing about Marcus Morris, but he's an older player that I feel like would be worth trying to re-sign if you can get him for a uh, a slightly more affordable contract than the 18 mil this man just made this past season. Shout out to the Knicks. But I think that Montrez Harrell, obviously, if you have to make a choice, he's 26 years old. Like, I know he looks like he's like at least 30. I know he's like a grown, grown man in the face and in the body, but he's 26 years old. He's built on his game every single year. He's the reigning sixth man of the year. And his duality with Lou Williams coming off the bench is still, it still makes them one of the most potent teams roster wise from a depth perspective than anybody else in the league. So I think he's automatically the go-to guy, but like, what do you, what do you say to that? Cause I feel like Trez is the easy answer, but like, why do you feel as though Montrez Harrell being brought back is crucial to this team? Besides the fact that he's already won the sixth man of the year, he's an amazing defender. If you put him up against some of the great scorers in the NBA, he can hold his own with those players. I think he's maybe the most important player right now that the Clippers need to re-sign. I think the second most important would be Marcus Morris, considering that I think he brings an intensity that I don't think a lot of teams have. And I do think he did not have the best performances in the playoffs. If he re-signs with the Clippers, I think they are definitely going to have to restructure his contract, especially to possibly free up more cap space um, if they want to also re-sign guys like Reggie Jackson and Maurice Harkless. The moral of the story is this. Montrose Harrell needs to get re-signed by the Clippers. I think that if Harrell doesn't get re-signed to the Clippers, he's going to go to a contender and then make the Clippers pay for it. I mean, I agree with you. It's, it's real simple, honestly, and I think that's the biggest thing. But unfortunately, as much as we're making a sense of urgency for them to have to do it, the boy been playing for $11.4 all this year, and he's definitely out, outplayed that price tag. 
and he only has a chance to get better considering that he hasn't even really creeped into his prime yet. So with that being the perspective, I think with the type of capital that they already have allocated to the team, if they want to keep Trez, they're going to have to make some reckless decisions to be able to make the money work. And I just don't know if that much is worth losing a guy like, I, I don't know if the exchange for giving up certain guys on this roster, like a Lou Williams or a Patrick Beverly equates to what you get out of a guy like Montrez Harrell, which kind of makes me wonder if they got to let him walk. And, you know, as much as I feel like he's an asset to this team I don't think he's an asset to this team moving forward if he's taking up 20 mil on your cap, for example, which is the kind of money that a guy like this could command in an open market, despite everything with the TV ratings and TV money and overall cap space for teams. There's a lot of, I was, I'll just be honest, a lot of Eastern Conference teams particularly that are going to have a little bit of cap space to throw around at people and there might be a willingness to overpay for a guy like Montres Harrell in order to also bring some culture to a team. I mean, shoot, my, I would not be mad at all if the Chicago Bulls threw some money at a Montres Harrell considering his age trajectory and the fact that I love Wendell Carter, but the injury concerns at that position, considering Laurie Markkinen, Wendell, and to a lesser degree, Daniel Gafford, I wouldn't be mad at being able to get a guy like Montrez Harrell to play a small ball five position or even play the four alongside a guy like Wendell Carter, for example. So, and, and the Bulls, to a certain extent, have some money to throw. So, I mean, you know, it's really just it's, it's really just all a, a tale of the time in terms of what they have to do with uh, what they have to do or what they can do with Montrez, but. The Clippers got some digging deep. They're going to have to do this offseason with everything they just came off of and all the assets, I'll say, that they've allocated to the Paul George trade, which has made things extremely difficult in the front office for them. Speaking of the Paul George trade, there is a chance that Paul George gets traded because of the lack of strong performances that he's had this year in the playoffs. I mean, multiple – 10-point games in the playoff series against the Mavericks and the Nuggets. Honestly, Jalen, I have to ask, and you mentioned this before the episode started, there's a chance that he could get traded to Brooklyn for Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, and the 19th overall pick. So I have to ask, what are the chances that that happens? I don't know, man. I think the Nets want to build a trifecta the best that they can in terms of being able to put they're two superstars in the best position to actually be able to win a championship. And right now the roster, it's seen a lot of flux with the whole D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis Levert being the best players on the team thing. And it was kind of a, I don't mean to disrespect them, but it was kind of like a cute story this past season, not this year in particularly, but before Kyrie and KD got there, where led by D'Angelo Russell, that team was a playoff team that definitely out, you know, outlived, outplayed the expectations of the team. So part of me kind of looks at it, looks at it, and says it's a great situation for Paul George. Um, personally, I've always kind of had my beliefs over the last year or two that Paul George is his best position as that as the third banana. I just feel as though he's kind of that guy who's starting to sink into a position where when championship expectations rise, his game is lessened. And therefore, 
you know, he kind of folds under the pressure of being asked to do more. And the third banana is kind of just there to pick up the slack, not to be a primary uh, ball handler, to be a primary facilitator, primary scorer. Um, They're just there to do whatever the team needs them to do. And that's the kind of guy Paul George is. He just is. I think he's that kind of guy. And I think he's a perfect match uh, offensively and defensively, I'll say, in terms of fitting alongside guys like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So I think for the Nets, it's huge. I think the question I'm going to flip to you in conjunction to this is, yes, there was a trade and in, 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 there was a trade rumor or a trade proposition of a Nets Clippers transaction. But my question to you would be, just what do you think is worth Paul George now? Because we saw that they, the Clippers had to give up pretty much their, their next five to six years worth of first round draft picks, Shea Gilgis Alexander and Danilo Gallinari just to get Paul George. I don't think you're going to be able to command that kind of trade asset from Paul George a second time after the season we just saw from him. So with that being the case, what is Paul George worth now? Unfortunately, not that much. And I hate to say that because his career downfall is well-documented. And the fact of the matter is that he's clearly not as good as he once was. If the playoffs prove anything to me is that he's no longer the second option. He is the third option. The thing that's tough for me in terms of just trading away a guy like Paul George is what you get back. And I think there is a chance that they trade Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, and the 19th overall pick to the Clippers for Paul George. I don't think his worth is as big as it was in 2013. If I'm getting 2013 Paul George, I'm trading away half my roster and like half my picks for <laughs> Paul George. So let's just, let's just remember, like this is not the same guy who in 2013 posterized Birdman Chris Anderson in the Eastern Conference Finals. This is a guy who is not as good as he once was and Unfortunately, a lot of people are comparing his downfall to Dwight Howard in a sense. And even though Dwight Howard's in the finals right now and PG's not, it's starting to kind of look like a Dwight Howard-esque downfall. So unfortunately, I wouldn't even trade away Karis Sliver and Spencer Dinwiddie and the 19th overall pick. I wouldn't even do that at all. I wouldn't trade anything for him. He's not as good as he once was. I mean, I definitely agree with that one. It's kind of harsh to say that you wouldn't trade two I wouldn't even call them cornerstone pieces, two rotational guys. Um, I love Karis. I think he can grow into something. I just think in an offense with KD and Kyrie, we're not going to be able to see the best version of Karis. Honestly, (laughs) I know this might be kind of selfish of me, but honestly, I really want to see Karis in a different situation, not superstar littered already. Um, So as much as I, I, you know, as much as we've seen things in relation to him being sent to a team like the Clippers, I really wish he would go to a team um bias wise like the Chicago Bulls or even on a lesser note maybe a a team like the Indiana Pacers um that's just my personal preference for him just because I feel like we've seen the best out of him when he's been the solo act that's where the 55 point game came from and things of that nature when he had to be that go-to guy for the team he's given us a lot of really great performances and is one of the top young players in the league that doesn't get discussed enough and Trust we'll have a we'll have a segment about that on a on a on a later date in terms of young players that are gonna be someone soon. But as of right now, I personally think that if you give me Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis, and the nineteenth, 
maybe I'll take that 55 off your hands too because I don't think you're going to use it. That's just me. You give me PG and 57 if I'm the if I'm Brooklyn, I think I think I can do something with that. But I understand the trade value is not nearly as much as it may have been a year ago the way we saw. I don't think it's anywhere in the ballpark of it. And you made a great you made a great, you know, TBT moment in terms of that posterized dunk by PG that he's not that guy anymore. Um it's unfortunate because we weren't saying that two we weren't saying that a year or two ago when he was in the I mean, he was essentially the third player in the MVP race at one point. Like, that's that's the guy we were talking about, and that wasn't even that long ago. So it's unfortunate that we've come to this point already. Um, you made the point about him having a Dwight Howard-like fall. Dwight Howard has been regressed from a three-time defensive player of the year, a guy who led a Orlando Magic team to the finals, to now being a rotational centerpiece, uh, a rotational center um, as a piece, I'll say, of a Lakers team led by LeBron James and Anthony Davis, arguably two of the top five players in the game right now. So if that's PG, I mean, it sounds like a good future for him. He has two top top 10 players in the league. I believe Kevin Durant's the best player in the league right now. And then they have Kyrie Irving, who I believe is at least a top 10 player when healthy. You throw PG in there as a third banana in a perfect situation for himself. I mean, yes, the expectations are still championship or bust, but I feel like the the weight won't be on his shoulders nearly as much as being the second guy for the Clippers. And I think it works out. So I think the way the trade package looks is going to have a lot to do with about whether or not, or it'll have a lot to do with whether or not it'd be worth it or not for both teams really to make the move. But yeah, PG's going to be in a lot of talks this offseason. I, I hate to say it because I love him as a player, but to, to quote Rashad, you can only defend that guy but so much after what we just saw. And Rashad said it when we had him on the show. I couldn't agree with him more then, and I think as we start having conversations about it more and more getting closer to draft night and things like that, it has to be a question as to whether or not PG's on his next stop or not. That's a good transition to our question of the day for our fans. What happens to Paul George in this offseason? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get our podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.